just like don't let the overwhelm get to you or the comparison because I know for a long time I was like well gosh I must be doing all this wrong if I don't have some sort of like content calendar or plan in place but at the end of the day just like doing it sick of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for $90 more I can upgrade you to our shred membership for $130 more you'll be a swole member and for just $300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at Planet Fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month cancel anytime deal ends Friday May 10th see home club for details Welcome to the Brands at Book Show, where we help creative service-based businesses build their brands and find more clients. I'm your host, Davy Jones. Today, I'm chatting with Elizabeth Young of Eliza Ann Calligraphy and the BizBash podcast about how to create content that connects with the right people. If creating content has been a struggle for you, or maybe you're not even sure that this is something that you should be spending time on, this episode is for you. We chat about why she creates content, how it's impacted her business, how she creates so much content and manages to distribute that content across all her channels. We cover a lot. It's one of my favorite discussions to date, and I really appreciate her approach to content creation. Another episode that would pair nicely with this one is my interview with Lauren Carnes. So if you like this episode, head on over to Lauren Carnes' interview and check out that one as well. Before we get to the episode, I have a request. If you've enjoyed the Brands at Book podcast, would you take a minute to rate and review the podcast on iTunes? Doing so will help this podcast get more visibility and it mean a lot to me. Be sure to check out the show notes at davianchrista.com for the resources we mentioned during the episode. And like I said, we want to hear from you. Send us a DM, send us a Facebook message, tell us what kind of content you'd like to see on the podcast as we move forward. Now, on to the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Brands That Book. I've only had one other stationer on the show, all right? And so it's a very underrepresented group. So I'm excited to have Elizabeth Young of Eliza and Calligraphy joining me today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited about the conversation we're going to have today. Yeah. I mean, we almost had a 12-minute conversation before we even got started. What we're talking about today is content. And so I want to go through all of the different channels that you're producing content on. And it's just so impressive. And as I was doing research for this episode, I just kept on coming across things, you know? So I haven't even, (laughs) I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface. But one of the things that we talk about on the podcast a lot, and just I think one of the things that I'm always telling people is how important content creation is in marketing yourself and booking clients, establishing yourself as, a, as an authority and so on. So I just want to go through the list of things that you're doing just so people can understand everything that you have going on. So you have two businesses, one with Cami Miller. People probably recognize her as Cami Monet, right? And you have the Biz Birthday Bash with her, that business. And under that business, you have the Biz Bash podcast, and you just put on a stationer summit. And how many how many stationers participated in that summit? Yeah, so we had 18 sessions total and 15 other people besides Cami and I. So Cami and I each did individual sessions and one together. So that accounted for three. And then all the other 15 women, sorry, men, there were <laughs> no men, not this time. We can always add one in the future. But <laughs> <laughs> we had 15 other women in the industry that participated. 
That's awesome. And, and as somebody who's put on online summits before, I understand how much work goes into that. So that is a huge feat having 18 different sessions. Is that stuff, I mean, just as a side note, is that still available? It is not available to sign up. It's anyone who registered when it was open has lifetime access. But there's always discussions of if and when, you know, doors were to open again, when that would happen. And we've had some people asking it probably if it happened, <laughs> wouldn't be until sometime like mid 2020, if I sure. had to guess. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, back to all of your different content channels. So we're, we're covering Biz Birthday Bash right now. You have the podcast, you put on the Stationer Summit, and then in your, your own business, so Eliza and Calligraphy, you have your YouTube channel, you have your blog, you have email lists for both channels. And then Pinterest, we talked about Pinterest a little bit. And then of course, you're on Instagram and you had mentioned you have too many Instagram uh, <laughs> accounts to, to keep track yeah. of. But of course, you have uh, Eliza Ann Calligraphy and then at least one for the Biz yes. Bash podcast or the Biz Birthday Bash. Mm -hmm. Sorry, my alliteration. I'm getting all, I'm getting all hung no, up. No, it's, it's a lot because we actually, we wanted to claim biz bash podcast as a handle so we have that as a handle but in the bio it just directs them to biz birthday bash but then we have the stationer summit instagram <laughs> i obviously have my business i have my personal instagram my cats have an instagram it's just embarrassing <laughs> there's like way too many accounts that i'm managing actually instagram won't even let me add anymore i've like reached the max That's of having funny. like five or something <laughs> i i have a few i mean i have one for myself which i bear i mean i show up on stories but like it's embarrassing how little i actually post to the feed anymore over there. Oh, yeah. And then well, I have one for brands at book, but I just don't use it. Kind of like you were saying, I just claimed it just so that, you know, we had the brands at book handle, but I don't actually, yes. I don't actually post there. But again, I'm excited to dig into how you manage all of these different channels. We should back up though. We start every single episode hearing a little bit more about our guests. So for those of you who already listen to Elizabeth's podcast, you know, stay with us. All right. Because we're going to get to some content stuff. But Elizabeth, could you tell us how you got into, you know, how did you start your own business? What does your entrepreneurial journey look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm always first and foremost, very thankful for like my parents and my dad, especially who always has been an entrepreneur, always has been doing his own thing. I mean, he worked for Dish Network back in the day, but then after that started with like his best friend, they started an endeavor and he had multiple business endeavors throughout the year. And one of them at one point was this toy company. It was online only called All Aboard Toys. And I remember going into the warehouse and I would help them package things and send them out. And I remember thinking, I was like, this is like the coolest thing that my dad runs this and manages this. And so my dad has done a ton of stuff throughout the years. He actually is currently the CEO of Shopventory, which is inventory management. So for anyone looking for a system with that, but he's like always been my inspiration, like my leading guy in terms of, I know that I can do this. Like my dad has set that, like set the bar high in that way of like, don't feel like you have to work for someone else. Like you can work for yourself. So I've, I've always been really creative and artsy was always doodling in school and throughout college too. I mean, I, I majored in communications, but I started to really pay attention to Instagram because Instagram, what started in like 2010, something like that. And I was seeing a lot of like other hand letters and calligraphers on there. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. I've always loved handwriting. I used to get like my 
my teacher in eighth grade used to give me a hard time because he was like, maybe you would get more done if you weren't so focused on making (laughs) your notes so pretty because I just like was very methodical with my handwriting and I've always kind of had that obsession. Well, I'm left-handed and learning calligraphy was a lot more difficult for me because of that because everyone I saw doing it was right-handed and there's a difference between the pens and the nibs and what works for a left-handed person and what doesn't. I would have never guessed that. You know, like I would have just never guessed that. But when I was looking at your YouTube channel, some of your videos with the most views were around this topic of being a left-handed calligrapher. So yes. apparently it is a thing. Apparently it is more difficult. But anyways, you were going, you were telling us about how, but why it's more difficult. Yeah, it was just it's just differences in like pens and the nibs, kind of how I said, and things you wouldn't understand till you really just get your hands on the materials and start trying. So it was fall of 2014. I guess that would have been like my senior year of school where I just like bought a bunch of stuff off Amazon. You know, I had done research, found some other blog posts people had put out there and really started experimenting on my own. And within a month of practicing, my roommate at the time referred me to someone and I got my first business. I wrote out a family recipe. I guarantee if I were to go back and look at that now, I would like grimace because... (laughs) my style and calligraphy has changed so much over the years and just what I do over the years has changed. Like I don't even, I don't even do projects like that anymore. And so the fire was lit at that point. Like it it was like a flame that was not going to die and go away. I had gotten engaged that fall as well. And I knew that I was going to be making this move across the country with my soon to be husband because his grad school is in Georgia. Cause I went to school in Seattle. So it was like literally across the country and When I got to Georgia, I had to do a side hustle. Like I had to get a full-time, you know, day job and then side hustle in the evenings because my husband was in school. So I worked really hard for a year. Then after that, I quit. I was like, I'm out of here. I'm done. (laughs) I went full-time with my business. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm still sometimes have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) But yeah, that was in the fall of 2016 when I went full-time. So it's been three years for me now, which that is just crazy, like that it has gone that quickly. Yeah, amazing. And I mean, one of the things that I appreciated about your podcast, the episode I listened to was about some of the mistakes that you and Cammie, some cringeworthy, I think the title of the episode is some cringeworthy mistakes you all made as, as stationers. Really appreciated just, you know, how straightforward you were about some of the mistakes that you all made in the past. And oh, yeah. some of which were not like, they're not like, they're relatively recent, you know, not not like yesterday. But I appreciated that aspect too, because we all you know, all our mistakes aren't when we first started, right? Like everybody, it's a consistent thing, right? So I appreciated that aspect of that episode for sure. But going back to leaving your full-time job, so you you moved to Georgia, you just kind of side hustling really hard for a year, and then you quit and go full-time with your calligraphy business. First, a year isn't that long of a time, especially when you move. Because I mean, I imagine you were in Portland beforehand, right? You said? In Seattle. Seattle. Yeah, Pacific okay. Northwest. Yeah. So at least if you were still in Seattle, you probably have a network there. So for instance, your roommate who referred you to a friend who who needed, you know, calligraphy work done. But when you moved to Georgia, you probably didn't have that network. So there's probably an aspect of building that network. So how were you able to take your business full time in that year? Oh gosh. Well, the funny thing is like I have a I even have a blog post about this, like how to go full time with like your passion. I'm like trying to remember kind of like what I said in that. Well, I'm lucky. I also have a pretty good head for numbers. So I basically started out with 
I granted myself a thousand dollars, right? I was like, I'm going to use a thousand dollars to like get my business started and get it off the ground. And so when I hit that mark uh, as a, at a side hustle, right, where I, I had made that money back, I was generating a profit. And I said to myself, like, I think this will actually outweigh what I'm making right now. And I can't continue to grow my business if I'm not doing it 100% doing it all the time because I'm just squeezing it in in the evenings. And so in terms of like growing that network, well, first of all, I'm lucky because of the internet. So I did still have a lot of friends from like back home and I grew up in Denver. So like friends and family in Denver too, that would find me online and send me business or order prints from me or, or calligraphy verses or whatever it was that they wanted. So I didn't feel totally like disconnected from the community that I had left. But I will say as much as I like hated that job that I worked when I first moved to Georgia, my day job, that gave me an opportunity to build a network too, because I was in a real estate office and they wanted house portraits and wood signs for like clients and closings. And so I I actually learned how to like leverage that, I think, to my advantage, because then when I quit, well, first of all, I had a good reason, right? I didn't have to tell my boss, like, I hated this. She probably already knew that. I was like, not that great of an employee. (laughs) (laughs) But I could say to her, like, I'm quitting to pursue this. And I still had all those like connections from that office and people that I had, you know, met in the first year of living in Georgia. That's probably a pretty unique combination of traits to have being both good with numbers and then also very creative. I feel like my wife, Krista, she she's the same way. But I also think that in the creative industry, you don't come across that often. You know, you come across people who really like creating, but don't really love the business side of things. Yeah. I'm lucky. I will say I'm very lucky because you're right. That's that's the norm. It's like one or the other. <laughs> I guess it makes sense, right? It's not like your network from back home disappeared. It's not like you were a photographer and could only work in Atlanta, you know. So I forget, you know, you can mail, you know, whatever stationary pieces that you're that you're working on. So I do want to transition to talking more about content. You have so many different content channels. Why? <laughs> That's a great question. Let me be like really clear up front. I think it's partly because I didn't understand what I was doing, if that makes sense. Because now hindsight's 2020, I can see everything very clearly. And at the time, I think it was just like, well, I've gone full time. And here's the things that I should like do that I should try to leverage to make my business stronger. So I've as you can tell, because you listed them out earlier, dipped my toes in a lot of different like ponds. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Um, And all of them have had benefits for my business in a different way. But the YouTube part of it really came out of my desire to teach and educate because I realized others were having struggles. And same with my blog post for a little bit. And then with my blog posts, I was like, oh, well, I can also blog for my ideal client and get some of that content in there too. So Those were like the two that I really started out with at the beginning, I think, that were kind of like fundamental to my business in the first year. So blogging and YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say YouTube is, you probably got in YouTube pretty early, relatively, right? Just because I feel like it's still not something, it's still not a channel that is utilized. It's not as ubiquitous as blogging, right? Like everybody has a blog, I think, you know, and then less people with uh, YouTube channels and and podcasts. But in general, like why why do you think content is so important? Like why do you spend, regardless of what channel it is, why do you spend so much time there? Yeah, well, with blog and YouTube especially, obviously, if someone's going to find a blog post, they're using a search engine. So SEO had a huge part in that, especially my decision for blogging. And even with YouTube, because YouTube itself is not, 
a social media, it is an an actual search engine. People go on there to search how to X, Y, Z, you know, like yeah. how to sand a wood sign, how to paint my front door, whatever they're like looking for. And so that was very advantageous to me because I knew that there were going to be people looking up like how to do left-handed calligraphy because that was my struggle. And I was like, I can really pinpoint that niche and probably have some pretty good success with it. I mean, so that's really kind of like what started it. Just very generic, like basic tutorials on YouTube. Sure. So your strategy in creating content, what, what were some of the things that you did to create content in a way that would grow your business? Well, that was like part of like the problem is I don't think I was necessarily being super strategic about growing my business in the way I should have at the beginning. Because I think I had this like confusion between am I an educator or am I a service provider, right? For a client. That's a really interesting question. So I don't mean to, yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but I do <laughs> I do think you I think something that we've noticed as well is well, I, I, you know what? I'm just going to let you talk about how you've how you've approached this problem. I guess so. You have this you you know you you had this confusion between are you an educator or are you a calligrapher? How did you go about figuring out you know what posts to focus on? You know, more education or more calligraphy? Tell us all about that. Yeah, well, I I think a lot of the content I was putting out there was very like education forward because I think my goal at the time when I started everything was, it was just like numbers based. I wasn't doing a very good job of looking at the big picture. I was like on Instagram and I was like, well, I want to push people to my Instagram. I want them to follow me there. And how do I get content out there that'll make that happen? You know, so I can hit 10 K or I can hit whatever. I think I was purposely trying to talk to a lot of other creatives because I was trying to grow a social following. But as we know, like a social following does not equal business. Sure. <laughs> and so then once I started, I think I started kind of like taking a few steps back and I was doing like a lot of wood signs. The thing was that like commissions were coming in pretty well because of word of mouth. Sure. So I did not have like a lack of business per se. It's just that that was being driven by re referrals and word of mouth. And so my content was like collecting this whole other audience, you know, I was like, kind of like building both at the same time. And I was doing a lot of like one off work for clients in terms of like, wood signs, calligraphy quotes, house portraits, all these things that I don't even do anymore. Like it's taken me a long time to figure out, okay, what am I really doing here? What are my business goals? And so like the first year was like a lot of like doggy paddling, I think, you know, where you're like, oh, I'll experiment here, I'll experiment there. And, and like, let's see how people react. Like, let's see how this builds my business. But that being said, like, the strategy of that wasn't too good. Like, I'll talk sure. about this later in the episode, because you, you're going to ask me about like, what channel would I focus on? And like, the answer will probably be kind of surprising to people. But I won't, I won't give that away yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely want to talk about that in a minute, but I just think it's such an interesting, I mean, there's a, a few thoughts that I'm having as you're, as you're talking about this one, while it might not have been the optimal strategy, I assume that, you know, building a following on Instagram, even if it was other creatives or other stationers or calligraphers still helpful, maybe in a way, you know, just oh, in yeah. terms of like the social proof of having maybe a, a larger Instagram following or a larger YouTube channel or, or whatever it might be. Right. And then I also think, 
you probably got some referrals from people who were aware of you as a calligrapher, maybe who were, you know, a stationer of sorts. So, you know, referrals can come in from other people in the industry as well. So, you know, probably, I mean, you wouldn't say it was a waste of time to to create that content. And I think one thing I really appreciate about your story as I hear it is that you did just, you tested things and you created things and you just put it out there. You know, I think that's a better mistake to make. And I hesitate to even call it a mistake, but but if we were if we were to call it a mistake, I think it's a better mistake to make than not doing anything at all because you're not sure what direction you want to go. Yes. I think that's the ultimate lesson here is sure. like make it and put it out there and see what happens. Like don't get so consumed with like this paralysis or perfection that you're not trying anything at all. Cause you're right. Cause then that's a lose lose situation. Like yeah. you're not doing anything for yourself if you're not putting something out there for people to see. And I think you've done a good job of reflecting on that, you know, not just throwing things out there and keep and keeping on doing that, but rather thinking about, okay, well, what's working and what's not. So how did you start creating content that connects with, you know, I guess, quote unquote, the right people? Yeah, I think, okay, so I can actually kind of like pinpoint the moment it happened on my blog is I wrote a blog post that still to this day is like my most viewed blog post. And it was like, it's called sixth, the six most common questions about RSVP cards. And that started driving like a ton of traffic to my site because people were like, well, you've probably received an RSVP card in the mail, right? Where it has like the M and then a blank line. And that's always the number one question is people are like, well, what does that mean? And so I kind of like broke down all these questions that people had about RSVP cards and put them in a blog post. And it had a great keywords in there. And I think that's when the moment clicked for me is, okay, this is a wedding related, a paper related blog post. And this is driving people to my site and to me in the way that I want them to come. I'm collecting the people that I want, you know, and bringing them to my site. Whereas like my tutorials, though great, are attracting creatives who aren't going to purchase wedding invitations from me. They're going to make their own. So I kind of had to have that a little bit of a mental shift of what content can I create that my my ideal client, you know, is going to be interested in. And so why do you think why do you think that post in particular did so well? And what's you know, what did you start doing, I guess, going forward to kind of, you know, imitate the success or replicate rather the success of that post? Uh yeah, I honestly it's hard for me to pinpoint like why it did so well. I think I was just as surprised, but I had well, Google in terms of like SEO, that's like a whole nother episode, but Google loves headings in blog posts. So the fact that I had like six headings, right. And all of them had like RSVP card in them. That makes it really easy for people to search and for it to come up. Like if you look up common questions about RSVP cards, my blog post might be on the very first page. And then I had images in there too, that I was like tagging with all the correct keywords. And so that was like, it was like my aha moment of like, understanding SEO a little better too. And I'm like, oh, I can take this strategy and replicate it again for writing common questions about invitations or what's your invitation style or all these other blog posts that I've been created. So it became a much more even split because I tried to be really intentional about like, let's do 50-50, right? Because I have created resources for creatives that are 
that are purchasable, right? That'll make me money. So I still want to keep those people interested, but I want to be driving my ideal clients, my couples to my website as well. So I became a lot more intentional when I was listing out blog posts that I tried to alternate with what I was writing. Yeah. and, And again, I think that's just such a valuable point is that you can have a large following on Instagram and still make no money if it's not the the kind of people who are going to purchase from you. And so even if a lot of industry peers look at you and say, "Oh, you know, she's so good at she, what she does," you know, they're not they're not necessarily the ones purchasing, you know, from you. And so, you know, you can't take your Instagram following to the bank. I do want I want to skip ahead to kind of what channels you find most effective. And even if you want to share for, you know, some of the different things that you do, because obviously something that you continue to focus on is education. And it sounds like primarily through this birthday bash with Cami. So I guess maybe could you share the channels that you now focus on for your calligraphy stationary business, and then the channels you focus on for Biz birthday bash? Yeah, sure. And I guess which ones are most effective? Yeah. So this is what I was kind of saying earlier is going to surprise people a little bit because if I could start over again with like that clean slate of being in my first year of business, having no idea what I was doing, I would try a lot harder with Pinterest. I have learned so much about Pinterest thanks to Vanessa Kynes who like referred me to you. (laughs) My VA actually took her course. I didn't take it, but my VA took it and learned a ton about Pinterest. Loved it. My friend Carly of Two Camp also does a ton of Pinterest information and I've bought her Pinterest like ebook and I'm just devouring all things Pinterest because that is also a search engine and a visual search engine and is very cool and I was and I've never really understood how Pinterest even worked until this year. I just thought it was a place where people like pinned, you know, cute photos yeah, and things like I didn't realize like the workings behind it. And so I have been putting more effort into that side of things to get traction there. And I've slowed my role on YouTube. So my poor my poor YouTube channel now does not have has not had a video uploaded since I think I like I uploaded a promo for the stationer summit and that was like the last one. Sure. But what, maybe April 2018, I would have to go back and look. It's been more than a year since I really did like a tutorial of any sort. And your YouTube channel was primarily for education, right? Yeah, it was primarily for education. And now that I'm doing Biz Birthday Bash, that's where all of that kind of fits in, you know? Sure, sure. And and with the and with Pinterest, you were talking about that primarily in regards to your calligraphy business. Yes. As a correct. channel that you're using for your calligraphy as business. As a channel I'm using for my calligraphy business. Still very much Instagram for both, for Eliza and calligraphy, but I'm I'm like you. I find myself relying on stories a lot more. And I'm very picky about like what I put in my feed, if it'll even be valuable. So like last night was the first time that I wrote a caption long enough for people to actually have to hit like read born, you know, <laughs> on Instagram. Because I've gotten kind of lazy with it. I kind of just like throw things up there just so people know I'm alive. Like sure. so they know that I still exist. I want them if they come to my Instagram page to know that I'm still like in business. And that's really the only reason I post on there. Cause that is like, it's a lot of creative. So I manage Instagram as Eliza and calligraphy, but that's like kind of to connect more with my community, I would say than sure. my ideal client, but I still have couples tell me all the time that they find me on Instagram. So that is not, it's not a lost cause by any means. Like it's still very beneficial. And the blog the blog on Eliza and calligraphy is kind of like slow to roll a little bit too. Like I'm a little more picky there about what I put up because as I've learned from people and kind of like realized is that you can burn yourself out creating content, but once you've created so much of it, why not reshare, right? That yeah. content exists forever. Like 
keep pushing it and resharing. So then on my mailing list for Eliza Ann Calligraphy, I actually, I have a VA. She helps me part-time. Her name is Madison. And I had her start creating a a sequence through convert kit. That's what I use so that when people join my mailing list, they get added to a 52 week sequence that has one email a week. It's called the open envelope. (laughs) So every week they get the open envelope in their mailbox on Friday morning. And it lists three content things that I have done. So like, here's a blog post. And I even like, I pitch my podcast on there too. Like here's a podcast and here's an invitation I've done in the past. Like I try to hit all of my target audiences with the open envelope. And so then everyone jokes with me with me. They're like, well, what's going to happen when a year is over? I'm like, I don't know. Well, like cross that bridge <laughs> when we come to it, you know? So now it's more about like, like almost regurgitating and like pushing all that information a second time. It's it's become a lot less for me in this stage about like creating something new. Like yeah. how can we refresh something old or make it better for people? So glad you brought that up because I think it's just an overlooked part of content strategy. I mean, people work so hard in creating the content to begin with. And then a couple of years go by, content's still good. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it needs to be updated a little bit, but it doesn't need to be rewritten in a lot of cases, but it just kind of dies a slow death because it's buried in your blog somewhere. And so, you know, likewise, this, that's something that we've been doing, even on the podcast is going through old blog posts that we still think are valuable, rewriting them, also creating a corresponding podcast episode and reposting both. So now it's at the top of the blog and people are more likely to find it. And again, I think search engines in general, I think Vanessa would agree about this in regards to Pinterest, but Google, Pinterest likes fresh content. And so even republished content, that's just reworked old content. It just gets, it gets in front of more people. So I'm, I'm so happy that you, that you brought that up because that old content you create, I mean, even if you're a wedding photographer, if it's a wedding that you shot and you're still proud of it and it's still the work, it still represents the work that you're doing, reshare it, especially when we work so hard to create it to begin with. You know, I don't know yeah. how long it takes to, to record a, a podcast episode for you or a blog post, but I know it takes probably four to six hours for me to write a blog post. I don't want to take all that time writing a blog post so that people read it for one day. Yeah, right. Exactly. And it cracks me up too when photographers are like, I just don't have any images to post on Instagram. And I'm like, what do you mean? You took like <laughs> 2000 of like that one wedding alone. <laughs> I always give my friends a hard time, my photography friends a hard time about that because I I think people feel weird about like for some reason, like posting the same thing twice. And I'm like, it's very advantageous. Like if you go back and that image is like your best performing from 2019, like post it again, like in a a couple months, you know, like people aren't going to remember it that well. They just don't like there's so much content online anymore that there's no way our brains can like process and remember all of it. I 100% agree. I mean, and back when we were shooting, we shot weddings before we transitioned fully into uh, branding and design. We had one wedding in particular that was shot on flag day. So it was like, you know, sort of patriotic themed, you know, what uh, American flags everywhere. But every American, you know, patriotic holiday, 4th of July, flag day, Veterans Day, Memorial Day. I mean, images from that wedding would be shared, you know? So, Mm -hmm. and that lived on for years, right? And still to this day, it's not uncommon for somebody, for a publication to reach out and be like, hey, can we share this image? you know, on one of those, on one of those holidays. And so that, that wedding, that single wedding booked us other weddings for years, you know? So again, I think it just, it just speaks to your point on how important it is to share content. Also love, love that. uh, I mean, it's so true. I do hear photographers 
always say, what do I post? I'm like, photographers have no, I mean, they have it, I think the easiest, right? It's every other vendor that's waiting for the photography, the photographer's images to be able to share. So again, just really appreciate that. And for, I will say too, in terms of like content management, I think there's like overwhelm maybe for photographers, which is why they feel that way, which is where something like Planoli or Later or an app could come in handy for them. I highly recommend Planoli. I use that very strategically for both Biz Birthday Bash, Analyze and Calligraphy to schedule content on it on Instagram, especially during seasons where we have big launches or a holiday's coming up. Like pick your favorite 10 photos from a wedding, just upload them to Planoli and you can kind of like pull them around and organize them and alternate them with other images as well. I finally got a hang of that and I was so proud. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Krista uses that for her own profile for Davey and Krista. We use later. And I know that was one of those ones you just mentioned. And I think you could even hook that up to Facebook and and post to both. I mean, I think we just use it to schedule to Instagram. We use co-schedule for our blog, which helps mostly again with Facebook. But I mean, that, that leads me to one of my, my last questions here you do still manage, even though you're more focused these days, and even though a lot of what you're doing is going back and refreshing maybe some older older content, you still have a lot going on. So you still have two different businesses, Instagram accounts to manage for both, content to disseminate for each of those. How do you manage all of that? I'm guessing uh, Planoly is one of the ways that you do that. What other yeah. tips do you have? Okay, I'm a huge fan of time blocking. So if I were to be writing a blog post or something new, I would put that on the calendar because if I put it on there, then it's going to happen. I need to visually see it. And so at the beginning of 2019, I was trying to even give myself like three hours a week to blog, which of course, like most of the time didn't happen, but it was on my calendar to do that. And I would literally schedule like, okay, what day do I want blog post to go live? So I could kind of see that. Planoli is obviously one that we utilize which is great. And and we, we're just not as like aggressive about posting anymore. So that helps manage it. So like Biz Birthday Bash on that Instagram account, we really post once a week when our podcast goes live. Unless we're doing a big launch or at the station or summit is happening or something crazy, then people get bombarded by like three posts a day. <laughs> but we also we schedule all of that ahead of time. So it's all ready to go. We don't touch it like the week of the launch. One thing that I've noticed about Instagram, I think one thing that, I mean, I know people hate the algorithm and they want to go back to the old days of the chronological feed and whatever. But I guess one one of the nice things about, the, or one thing that I would argue for the algorithm is that, you know, even if you're posting once a week, that that post has an opportunity to show up in somebody's feed two days later at the very top, right? Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. and so I do think that maybe there's less pressure because of the algorithm to have to post every single day or twice a day or, you know. Yeah, that's actually a great point because you're right because with the chronological feed, I don't think I've even thought of that before. Like you would have to be looking at Instagram at that exact moment the post went live. Whereas now it understands like, oh, Ashley might be interested in Elizabeth's content. Like we're going to show it to her even if it is two days later and she doesn't miss the deadline to sign up for the summit or whatever it is that we're promoting. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I'll joke about like the algorithm all day and give it a hard time. But at the end of the day, there's nothing we can do. You just got to like yeah. kind of go with the flow and accept it. One of the other things that I appreciated uh, that I wanted to bring up was you had mentioned search engine optimization. That's something that Chris and I do. It, it sounds like you sort of stumbled upon that in... So you'd written a blog post and then you saw the benefits of search engine optimization, but you you didn't necessarily like know a ton about SEO and then go write your blog post. Is Would that be a correct assessment? 
That would be correct. Like I had gone to like some rising tide meetings where they talk about SEO, right? But I think it's the same thing that we go through is like in middle school learning algebra, right? Where you're like going through the motions of like doing an equation until you have the moment. And I could still remember this from middle school where I would have the moment and I would go, I get it. I understand the process of this equation and why I'm doing it and why I get these results for this. And it was the same thing with SEO is that I was kind of going through the motions. I was like, okay. And put up some keywords here and I'll make this image title have this word. And then it was that like RCP blog post where it was like the fireworks. I was like, oh, I get it. I understand now why this is successful, why search engine optimization <laughs> is so useful when you're blogging or generating content. Yeah. And I, I wanted to bring that up just because I wanted to reemphasize this point that you that you get to that aha moment by actually doing it. You know, and it's if you had Uh just decided, oh, I'm not going to write a blog post until I know everything there is to know about SEO, you probably still wouldn't have written a blog post, right? Like I know I wouldn't have, right? So, uh, you know, learning is is something that's, I think, best done by doing. And of course, we don't want to just, you know, hustle ourselves into exhaustion. But at the same time, I think one thing that I really appreciated about your entrepreneurial journey, especially in regards to content, is that you just go do it. And then you reflect on, okay, what's working and where should I spend most of my time and what channels are most important to focus on? And, you you know, we just see the benefit of that reflection through things like you taking old content and reworking it instead of thinking you always have to reinvent or invent new content. So I really appreciate that. I do have one final question for you. I want to know if you could go back and, or, you know, I guess you could answer this. Actually, I'm going to make it two questions because I like both of them. All right. The first one, if you could go back and focus on just one channel, which one would it be? I honestly would have to say Pinterest. I think I would try to understand that one better and really go for it. But that's a really hard question. It's an unfair question. I will (laughs) say it is an unfair question. I've actually just sent out a survey to all of... I'm preparing for a a keynote at Show United. And I just sent out a survey to every one of my past guests, asking them basically the question, if you had to tell people to focus on one thing in order to grow their business, what would it be? And it, and it, it is difficult for people to answer because it's like, of course, there's there's never just one thing, you know? Yeah, so, it is different. So I, maybe I'll cheat a little bit and I'll also say like my other option would have been blogging because sure. then people can always pin my images themselves without me pushing it to Pinterest. Sure. But, and I wanted to like hop in and say one more thing too, if oh, it's okay with absolutely. you. Absolutely, yeah. That in terms of like the overwhelm, because this is kind of the theme of like, just get out there and do it. I just shut out like a lot of noise, like of these people who are like, look at my content plan, like look at my calendar for July, like all these days that they were going to post everything. And I'm over here like, I'm just like flying by the seat of my pants. And I just like want to say for those of you out there, and that's you right now, the flying by the seat of your pants (laughs) strategy, that's totally okay. Especially if you're someone who's like doing everything in your business yourself. I feel like content marketing and uh, content calendars become a lot easier when you are adding people to your team and when everyone has to be on the same page. So just like don't let the overwhelm get to you or the comparison. Cause I know for a long time I was like, well, gosh, I must be doing all this wrong if I don't have some sort of like content calendar or plan in place. But at the end of the day, just color coded and yeah, Right. Oh my gosh. I saw so many things that were so intimidating where I was really like, geez, I've got this like all wrong. (laughs) But yeah, just doing it was like the best. It was the best thing in the end. 
Yeah, again, such valuable advice. And I'm going to have to take, I'm going to have to cut out some of these quotes for, you know, so that I can maybe share them outside of the the interview, just because it's, you know, we're hitting uh, 45 minutes here. And I want to make sure okay. that people hear this stuff, you know, because I, again, I just think it's so, it's so important. I still feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants occasionally. We're just now bringing on administrative assistance to help with with getting a better grip on you know some of this content calendar stuff and organizing content and making sure it gets out to the to the right channels but you know like you can only get to that point if you're actually creating the content so again i just think it's it's such uh important advice so my final question is just simply what's your favorite channel to post on like of all the channels that you share content on right now where is your favorite place currently to show up Honestly, Instagram, it is like that's where I get the best engagement and interaction with my audience. And I think that's where I get lifted up and encouraged the most because that is where the other creatives exist, where we kind of have this community of stationers and artists and paper people who have come together to encourage one another. So yeah, Instagram is actually a lot more encouraging for me than discouraging because I know for some people like social media can be very discouraging, but that's my favorite place to show up. And I'm a huge advocate of for Instagram stories too. I just think they make things really fun and personal within your business. If if someone wanted to connect with you specifically on Instagram, the best account to do so would be Eliza Ann Calligraphy. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'll post I'm there the, every day. <laughs> yeah, I'll post the handle in the show notes. So it's pronounced Eliza Ann, but it's spelled with an S. So it's it yep. looks Elisa Ann. So for people who are, are sitting there searching right now, yeah, you will find it if you throw in Elisa or you spell it, you know, with an that S. Way. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very confusing because my business is named after me. So it's a combination of my first name and my middle name, and my first name's Elizabeth with an S. So I took that and I was like, oh, Eliza, in my mind, that's how it sounds. And everyone else is like, oh, it's Elisa. And, you know, these are the things you never think about before you start a sure. business. But yeah. So thank you for specifying. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you another question. So this is my yeah. third or fourth last question now. And okay. I promise I'll wrap up <laughs> after this. But your YouTube channel, you previously used a lot for education and tutorials and things like that. Now you're showing up more in a podcast type or doing yeah, more podcasting, education. right? For education. So what have you found kind of the benefits of podcasting, you know, maybe even compared to YouTube? Like why, why did you all decide to show up on a podcast instead of maybe investing more in the YouTube channel? I would say it, it really comes down to the fact that people are multitaskers. So they want to be doing something while listening and YouTube, you really have to sit down and watch. YouTube's great for tutorials for those visual elements. But in terms of like just Cami and I having discussions about these lessons that we've learned, like people listen to us while they're commuting, you obviously cannot watch YouTube or should not be watching it while you're driving a vehicle. They listen to it while they're like making their kids dinner, like all of these things that uh, the YouTube, wow, I sound like I'm 50, (laughs) but that, that doesn't like, that's not conducive to that. And podcasting, it's just blown up. Like it's just blown up so much. And the fact that they get a notification on their phone of like, you have a new podcast episode from Biz Birthday Bash and they can listen to it immediately. I mean, it's really cool. Yeah. It's like the golden days of blogging where everybody subscribed to like RSS feeds and all the, <laughs> all their, you know, latest blog posts were aggregated in a, in a single place. You know, I feel like that's kind of what podcasting is today because everybody uses their favorite app, whether it be iTunes or something like Overcast, where they subscribe to a bunch of different shows and the most recent ones pop up. So I would just echo 
you know, all of those things and the amount of people totally. who reach out and say, oh, I listen to it while I run or on, on car in, you know, during car rides and things like that. Whereas with a YouTube channel or video, people have to kind of stop what they're doing and watching. Not yeah. to discount a YouTube channel because it's still, this is one of the things that I've said for probably the last two years now is I want to start investing more in, mm-hmm. in our YouTube channel. But I do think that podcasting is such a, an interesting and just a channel with so much potential you know, to connect with people. Yeah. My brother, by the way, is a full-time YouTuber. So if you ever wanted to talk to somebody who does that full-time, I'll give you his info. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I def- I'll definitely have to do that because it's one of those, sh- I, I struggle so much with video. It's just, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So it's a harder for me to show up there, yeah. I think, than maybe something on a podcast where it's just more conversational in nature. And I don't have to worry about things being as perfect. And I edit or I outsource the editing for the podcast. So I don't, yeah, I don't even have to deal with like listening to myself again. And (laughs) somebody else has to do that and, and cut out all the, you know, any mistakes. But thank you so much for your time this morning. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I think people are going to benefit on so many different levels when it comes to content creation. It's something that's so important. And I think that people are going to feel it's going to be, freeing for people to listen to your story because of your just approach to, hey, let's put stuff out there. Let's reflect on it, but let's not get caught up by things like, you know, having to have everything all laid out pretty on a on a content calendar or knowing exactly what you're going to do before you do it. So thank you for your time this morning and sharing all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And sorry to those of you who are listening and wanted a clear cut content plan. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I think this is the most valuable thing. You know, I think this is the most valuable thing for people. And again, I think it's very much in line with things that, that I talk to people about when it comes to content. So I really appreciate the conversation and thank you for your time this morning. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Brands That Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes. For show notes and other resources, head on over to deviancrista.com.